Hello, and welcome to 15-Minute History. This season, we'll teach you about important people and the lessons their lives teach us. If this is your first time here, then thanks for joining. Stay connected with us at our website at 15minutehistorypodcast.org, where you can find transcripts and older episodes. Now, let's start the show. Most people around the world take time at the end of a year to pause and reflect on their lives. We see family and friends, exchange gifts, and share in our common humanity in good times and bad. For people of faith, celebrations of Hanukkah, Christmas, and other festivals bring a renewed sense of community and love into our lives. This has also been true in times of great trial and tragedy. One of my favorite Christmas stories comes from the muddy trenches of the First World War in 1914, and I'd like to share some words from those who experienced them to close out this year for you, our wonderful and growing audience. Five months into the First World War, as the European powers were hurling their young men into barbed wire and machine gun fire, Pope Benedict XV issued a plea that the guns may fall silent at least upon the night the angels sang. The governments of the warring nations ignored the pontiff's call, and generals ordered their men to continue to fight while the rest of the Christian world celebrated the birth of Jesus. But as midnight approached on Christmas Eve in multiple sectors along the western and eastern fronts, Officers spoke in hushed tones in English, German, French, and Russian about giving the soldiers under their command a break from the terrors of war. Artillery that had fired constantly since the late summer fell silent, and when the new day began, all was quiet. When the sun broke over the horizon and brought light to the shattered battlefields of Europe, flags of truce fluttered in the air over some trenches. Then a few brave men popped their heads up over the battlements, and they survived. Then more, and gradually entire regiments cautiously assembled in front of the trenches. Laughter soon filled the air as men exchanged gifts with one another and kicked footballs around. In some parts of the Western Front, English, German, and even French soldiers carefully picked their way across no man's land with white flags in one hand and packets of food, drink, and cigarettes in the other. They approached the enemy and exchanged gifts and words of Christmas greeting. By noon, some soldiers who had been trying to kill each other just days earlier were swapping stories in broken foreign sentences and hand gestures, while others were playing soccer with their enemies. Only miles away, their comrades might still be in combat, but as words spread up and down the lines of the Christmas truce, the fighting gradually died down. Even the most hard-nosed officers who hated their foes realized that the men under their command needed just a few hours of peace, and so they relented. As darkness fell on a continent beset by war, families went to church or gathered around the dinner table to pray for their loved ones in the trenches. And those loved ones enjoyed what would be for many of them their final hours of peace. Now back in their trenches, they played cards without fear of enemy shells landing in their midst or talked to each other of home, hearth, and heaven. A few started singing Christmas carols. Words like Stille Nacht, Heilige Nacht, floated across no man's land from the German lines, and the English joined in, all is calm, all is bright. On the night when the Savior was born, his followers and their brothers-in-arms remembered him in their own way. Then, when midnight struck, the fighting resumed. Thousands of soldiers wrote letters describing the Christmas truce of 1914 by candlelight in its final hours. Governments banned newspapers from printing them or reporting the ceasefire until early the next year when the New York Times broke the story in America. 
Newsmen then put out calls for personal accounts to be set in, and family members shared the letters they had received from the trenches with their local papers. Fortunately, many of these accounts have survived. Kurt Zemisch of the 13th Saxon Regiment in the German Army described his afternoon in his diary. We told stories together about home and our lives before the war, sometimes for the first time. Our officers had forbidden these stories because it might damage morale, but we ignored him today. Then the English set up a flag of truce, and we met them on the field, not in arms, but in friendship. The English brought a football from their trenches, and pretty soon a lively game ensued. How marvelously wonderful, yet how strange it was. The English officers felt the same way about it. Thus Christmas, the celebration of love, managed to bring mortal enemies together as friends for a time. Paul Devereux, a medic in the French army, wrote home to his mother about the mixed feelings he had about the truce in his sector of the line. After all, he wrote, our country is occupied by the Germans, and a Belgian friend in my battalion said he would rather see the Hun drowned in blood than drink fine wine. But at least for a few hours, we put aside these hatreds. We did not exchange gifts or sing songs, but we ignored the war and the enemy. Captain J.C. Dunn of the Royal Welsh Fusiliers recorded his account of the truce's end in the evening of Christmas 1914. His men had spent the day playing football and drinking two kegs of beer with Silesian troops opposite them. At 8.30, I fired three shots into the air and put up a flag with Merry Christmas on it, and I climbed on the parapet. The Germans put up a sheet with Thank You on it, and the German captain appeared on his parapet. We both bowed and saluted and got down into our respective trenches. He fired two shots in the air, and the war was on again. Tragically, many of the men who wrote Home of the Truce did not live to see the new year. Captain Robert Miles of the King's Shropshire Light Infantry Regiment wrote home to his family, who then published part of his letter in the Daily Mail in London in January 1915. We are having the most extraordinary Christmas day imaginable. A sort of unarranged and quite unauthorized but perfectly understood and scrupulously observed truce exists between us and our friends in front. The funny thing is, it only seems to exist in this part of the battle line. On our right and left, we can all hear them firing away as cheerfully as ever. The thing started last night, a bitter cold night with white frost, soon after dusk when the Germans started shouting, Merry Christmas, Englishmen, to us. Of course, our fellows shouted back, and presently large numbers on both sides had left their trenches unarmed and met in the debatable, shot-riddled no-man's land between the lines. Here the agreement, all on their own, came to be made that we should not fire at each other until after midnight tonight. The men were fraternizing in the middle, we naturally did not allow them too close to our line, and swapped cigarettes and lies in the utmost good fellowship. Not a shot was fired all night. Two days after Miles's letter went to press, his family learned that he had been killed on December 30th. What can we learn about events so separate from our lives today in both time and circumstance? We are not in a full-scale war with millions of soldiers in far-off trenches, and we have Twitter and TikTok to share our thoughts instantly with the entire world. I won't presume to tell you what to think about the events of the Christmas truce 107 years ago this week. I am not a moral paragon who dispenses wisdom from on high. I will simply say this. If you look at media portrayals of our world today, it seems to be coming apart at the seams. Politicians and pundits are determined to divide us along racial, ideological, and medical lines. When I read stories like the Christmas Truce and the First World War, 
It reminds me to be thankful that I do not live in times like those, but it also confirms my belief that beyond all the division and vitriol spewed out by those in power, there is a common humanity in each one of us. Some hide it pretty well behind angry rhetoric, but I try to remember that even those with whom I have passionate disagreements and arguments are people first and opponents second. I may not like what they have to say or how they behave, but I dare not judge them or try to ruin their lives. If I did, I would be little better than those who screech on Twitter for people to be canceled or politicians of all stripes who work to silence opponents and deny them their God-given rights. May we all, as human beings first, remember that and try to be a little kinder in this new year. From all of us at AET and 15 Minute History, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and we'll see you next year.